Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast, George, and I got a jam-packed episode today. We're going to start out in the NBA as we take a look at the five biggest signings from the first day of free agency. We're going to be taking a look at not only the team impact of the player getting signed back to them or a new player coming in, but how that affects the rest of the league, and then give out some grades on the moves of how we perceive it. Then we're going to continue the preview of the divisions in the NFL as the preseason kicks off tomorrow, and I can't wait. We're taking a look at the best collection of teams in a division in the NFL with the NFC West, just so many different teams there, so many good teams there that we don't really have in many other divisions. And then we're going to be heading over to the perennial Super Bowl threats in the Kansas City Chiefs and the rest of the AFC West to close it out. I hope you enjoy this one. It's a good one. Okay, so we're recording this about Wednesday or a little bit over 11 o'clock in the uh, in the morning. Uh, free agency has been going on for a few days right now in the NBA. So let's take a look at some of the biggest signings. We'll start out with Kyle Lowry headed over to the Miami Heat in a sign and trade in exchange for Goran Dragic and Precious Achua is the, the, the main parts of that deal. I don't believe it's 100% finalized yet, but that's mainly what's being sent to Toronto. It's a three-year deal that he will be getting from Toronto and then traded over to Miami for $90 million. And obviously this gives them an upgrade at the point guard position as a shooter and defensively with Lowry over Drogic. And if you let you, they might like pressure to Chua, but if you want that, if you want to win now, this is a move that you somewhat have to make. But when you look at it, I mean, you, when we were talking about this, when we were talking about what we want to talk about in the pod, I agree with you. And that's what was my sentiment of thinking with this move. It doesn't really change where I look at them in the East because I'll definitely be taking Milwaukee over them. I'll definitely be taking Brooklyn over them and I'll still be taking Philly over them pending the move about what they do with Ben Simmons. But if it's they're not getting nothing for him or just draft picks from, I'd still take Philly over them. And this is a move that when you look at it, you are putting a lot of pressure on Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, two guys that are going to be 35 and 32 when the next season comes around. And neither guy is really top five in the East or top seven. I mean, I'll have Katie, I'll have Harden, I'll have Kyrie, Embiid, Tatum, Trey, Middleton, and Beal over Jimmy and Lowry at this point. So I think it's a lot of pressure and a lot of money shelled out to two guys that aren't the premier aren't premier guys in the in the conference and the premier guys are on also the top teams in the east. I think um I I, I personally would say this move puts them above Philly. I think it firmly puts them as the third best team in the east. Um yeah, I think uh I think their true, you know, capability is somewhere between what we saw when they made the finals and last year, which was a real down year for them. And I think, um, you know, you re-signed Duncan Robinson, which is big. Um, it's like five ninety. Um, and then, and then you bring you bring in Lowry. You still have Ben and Jimmy, obviously. So you have three guys. You know, like a, a so-called big three, if you're being generous on on the term big three. Um, I think it's a pretty good team. And like I said, I think they're firmly the third best team in the conference uh, with this move. And so I think, you know, it sort of locks them in as a contender, you know, a bit of a pretender in terms of true title contender, but, you know, a contender to be sure. They should be in the top half of the East, no question. So are you putting them over Philly in the event that like if with Ben Simmons there right now? I'm putting them over Philly because every year people like, and, you know, as I said in, in the past going into this year's playoffs, it's like, you know, you, you, you watch them in the playoffs, you, you forget what happened. You fall in love with them in the regular season. Again, they let you down in the playoffs. Again, these guys have never made the conference finals. Like I just don't see, uh, you know, regardless of what regular season they have, they could win 65 games in the regular season. I would still take the heat over them in a the series. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, is. I don't know because they get they get somebody to trade for Ben Simmons, and I think it changes the fortune of what you what you look at this team because I do think that, I mean, when you match him up Philly versus definitely, but that's quite a hypothetical. I mean, it looks like he's getting moved regardless. I I, I think it's I think if you look at the odds right now, if I had to put, no, odds I know, but we have but, but we have no idea for who, we have no idea. For who. That's true, but I also but you're, don't... you're you're just assuming that it's going to be replaced with another all-star caliber player well i don't know what player that is because nobody knows and you know mm-hmm. nobody's even talking about it I, so. I just think logically there there's no there's no uh reasoning to not get a proven guy in return for him just based i agree on- i agree but that guy is not there who, who? Okay. what guy i mean whether it's like dame cj um whether it's just 
I, I, I'm not, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who's available. I mean, maybe Bradley Beal, maybe they could go. Uh, yeah, about I don't that. think they're getting, I don't think they're getting any of those guys. We maybe CJ McCollum, but you're not getting Dame or, or Bradley Beal. Um, I think there's almost a 0% chance. Okay. So like, so you, you're just like operating under the assumption that it's either Simmons or it's Buddy Heald or it's McCollum, you know, McCollum and something or Heald and something. Um, no, I would take the heat over them for sure. What if they got like Heald and like De'Aaron Fox? Be a good package, honestly. Um, no, I'd still take the heat. I, I mean, like, uh, no, I just don't like the Sixers, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I think like the, their MO is kind of falling apart in the playoffs. Um, and that, and that, same with Doc Rivers. So now I have a hard time putting them over the heat, the team that's actually done it. Mm-hmm. So I was, when I looked at this Lowry, uh, extension or contract, I, it got me thinking, is Chris Paul going to give teams false hope about paying point guards that are up in this range, about thir- about age 35, that they'll be able to get a few more years out of them? Because when we saw Chris Paul at about 35, we're like, this is one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And normally you see, you don't really see these young, these smaller point guards age well. And now when you see Chris Paul, who's able to orchestrate a Suns team to a deep playoff run, especially in the West, it doesn't will this be the will teams kind of confuse this for the exception for the rule not the exception which in my opinion he's the exception not the rule yeah i I think it's somewhere in between because obviously like across sports athletes are getting better when they're older but yeah for every chris paul you know there's a couple there's a mike conley and there's a uh and there's a um Kemba Walker, both of whom we'll be touching on in a little bit, but you know, yeah, not every guy ages super gracefully. And even these guys that like neither Kemba Walker nor Mike Conley is like a high flyer dunker. So it's proof that it's not just a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall that maybe doesn't age as well. It's all these guys, like you said, even these smaller guys. So um, yeah, there's definitely a piece of that. And there's also a piece of like Drogic at his best was really good. So maybe you're not even upgrading that much, but you know, he was a bit injury prone. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, I think it's I think it's the best move they had to continue like growing and reassert themselves as a top team in the East, like I said. But um, yeah, there's a chance that it ends up being a bad move, definitely. I mean, when you have a Jimmy Butler again, he's gonna be 32 by the time the season comes around. You this is a type of move that, yeah, I get that why they need it. And that's where if I, I was grading this, I'd give it a B for this one because I think it's a solid one. The money's fine. It's a little, a little rich, but I, I understand it's it's on par with what we saw with Chris Paul. Chris Paul got four for 120, Lowry three for 90. It's the same amount, and he's a little bit younger, a little bit more room uh, for potentially in the years following that you don't really see that much of a drop-off. And it it reasserts them. If they didn't have Lowry and they had to ride it out with Drogic, I'm not saying it's a, compl- it's a significant upgrade, but it is an upgrade both shooting and defensively. So um, I, I get why they did it. Yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a B minus. Um, like I said, I like the move, but, you know, of course, we'll have to see how it plays out. Now over to the West with uh, the other point guard that we were just talking about, Chris Paul. Um, he just signed with the Phoenix. He re-signed with the Phoenix Suns after opting out of his last year player option uh, to sign a four-year, $120 million contract. And this is really, for me, it's just like Phoenix couldn't let Chris Paul walk after the success they had last season, which was in large part because of him. And but when the deal ends, Chris Paul is going to be 40. And I was going through some of the other point guards that you could look at that got to the age of 39 or 40. Stockton and Kidd at 40 and Nash at 39. I mean, Stockton, 27 minutes a game, 11 points, seven and a half assists. Kidd, 27 minutes, six points, three and three assists. And Nash, 21 points, seven points. Uh, 21 minutes, seven points a game, and nearly six assists a game. So it's a significant drop off. And when you're paying a guy 30 million potentially in those years, uh, that's a little scary to see. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's funny that he's like already getting the new contract when I, you know, this is the conversation that we were having when he signed the deal with Houston about how you know you bring up stats of guys who had fallen off, um, you know, at at 35 and 34 and 33, and now here he is signing for 37, 38, 39. Mm-hmm. Um, that is crazy. I, I think I agree with you. There's not much to it. You know, they had to do it. They, they're paying less this year, right? Because he opted yeah. out of a $45 million option to go for four one twenty, so 30 a year. Um, you, you had to do it. You had to bring it back. As we've discussed, I think all three teams they beat in the playoffs would be better than them if they were healthy. Um, 
the Warriors have an argument. I think some people are a bit high on the Warriors for a team that hasn't been good in a few years, but um, uh, you know. I've but been, is that because they're not good or just because they've had injuries? Well, I would say, I would say when you haven't been a contender for like two years, in 19, they were in the finals. So I guess it's only two seasons they haven't been contenders, but granted it's two seasons that you haven't been contenders and you don't have Kevin Durant anymore, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clay Thompson hasn't played in two years. We don't know what that looks like. So I think there's a lot of real things, you know, people putting them up. Like for me, they're not the second best team in the West. Um, for me, it's the Nuggets, honestly, if Jamal Murray comes back healthy. Um, it, but, you know, of course, they're going to be contenders as well. And so, but basically the point is, um, you know, the Suns are going to be middle of the conference. That was arguably their best chance, like the Miami Heat last year. So, and like the Miami Heat making a move for Lowry, the Suns are probably a move or two away. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're paying him the four years to reward him for this past season. And then hopefully he can maintain that play for the next two is I I think your best case scenario at this point. I think he's smart and savvy enough as a player. And that's why he's able to sustain and been able to sustain it where, like you said, when he was 35, we were looking at like all the small, all the small point guards that dropped off at that point, he's been able to maintain that and elevate himself himself at some points in some points of his, uh, of his game. But this feels like a team that's moving further away from getting back to the NBA Finals. I, yeah, I won't definitively put the Warriors at two. I think it's, and I won't put even the Lakers probably at one. I, I, I think uh, put, you think? Well, yeah, we have to. I know, I know. I guess because we're only doing free agents, but like, well, it, just in general, what did you think about all these Lakers moves? Here, let, let's finish up Chris Paul, and then we'll get we'll segue into the Lakers real quick. Okay, fine. So. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a team that's middle of the road with the with the West definitively. I would put the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Nuggets over them definitively, possibly even the Jazz. And we'll get to Mike Conley with that a little bit later. But when when you have that, it, it just becomes a whole different ballgame because you're paying this guy this and you have these other contract extensions coming up in this team that's look the, the reason they were so good is because they were so deep. But now all these guys are coming up with their contracts. They have to pay DeAndre and they have to pay Mikhail Bridges. They have to pay Cam Johnson. All these guys are already paying Booker. Now you're paying Paul $30 million a year. So I'll give this a B minus because again, they needed to, they needed to have this happen. I mean, he had, he was too important for them to win an NBA finals. And when you look at the Devin Booker aspect of this, if he sees that they are not going to pay a guy that was instrumental in that, in them getting to the NBA finals, Next thing you know, it co- in like a year or two, he's asking out. And when you saw, thought this guy was secure because, look, we had success. Because before this season, he was a guy that was looked at as maybe he asked out in a couple of years because they haven't had the success. He hasn't been to the playoffs and all that. But then they finally get there. And if they let Chris Paul walk, what does that send the message to the rest of the team? So I yeah. give it a B minus, despite the fact that there's a lot of warning signs with this. Now, it's, it's funny. I, I give it an A minus, but for the exact same reason. I guess it's just like, the only difference is really how we're grading it. But, you know, um, the reason I don't want to penalize it too much is because there's absolutely no alternative. And in that sense, you know, it's a reasonable deal, maybe a bit longer than you'd like. But, um, you know, that's why I just give it the A minus because it's like you had to, you know, you had to. It's uh, it, it maybe some of that grade is just like the general benefit of the deal itself paying off. So, you know, it, it, there's no alternative, like mm-hmm. I said. So we'll, we'll head over to the Lakers now. Um, wasn't super planning on talking, but like they they had a flurry of moves yesterday. Hey, just they, quick, it doesn't have yeah. to be like you know. No, uh, like I do like the moves that they made for the most part. I, I think they got a lot of scoring on their team, and when you looked at their when you looked at how they matched up against or in their playoff matchup against the Suns, there wasn't a lot of offensive firepower. Obviously, with Anthony Davis injured, but like when you took it out of LeBron's hands, it was just there was nobody, and now you've got just guys that you can throw out there to um to do so and take the load off of them and also to kind of manage the ability of this team staying afloat if injuries happen because we saw this team really take a nosedive with LeBron and AD out now you have Russell Westbrook there you have Carmelo you have guys that are bucket getters I I still think they need to add some shooting some more shooting uh for the most part but I, I I do like the moves they made and I think they are better than they were last year yeah I uh and I agree I think um you know, when you just had Westbrook, it was a little weird. But then, um, you know, you bring in Melo, you bring in Malik Monk, who I like a lot. Um, 
you resign Horton Tucker, I feel is a bit overrated, but um, you know, you bring in a lot of guys and now the roster does make sense. You play a D at the five. And I think they could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who else they, they got, they got some shooting. Chris Dunn. Yeah. Well, Chris Dunn's that is a good uh, defensive guy for the point guard position, but they got Wayne Ellington uh, to space out the floor a little bit more, but uh, I still think they, they need a few more shooting and um, yeah, I, I definitely think they've gotten better since the last season in terms of just being able to um, just garner more offensive firepower. And obviously when you bring in Russell Westbrook and you're losing Dennis Schroeder, that, that seems pretty obvious there. So heading over to the Utah jazz, Mike Conley re-signs three years, 67.5 million. Um, This is of the big veteran of the big, you know, point guard contracts from veterans. This is my favorite. I thought this was the least amount of money. He's the youngest. And I don't think over the span of the contract that he will be that much worse than Lowry and Chris Paul. And if anything, I think he'll be on par because when you compare him to Paul and Lowry, specifically this past season, I mean, all their points per games are around 16 to 17. Conley shot the best from three and had just a little bit less in the attempts per game compared to Lowry. And he had significantly more than Chris Paul. His P, the PERs, I mean, Mike Conley, 19.2, Chris Paul, 21.4, and Kyle Lowry, 16.5. The true shooting percentage, all around 58 to 59%. Usage, all around 21 to 23%. And the only time, the only point where I saw the real drop off is the assist per game, where Chris Paul, nearly nine assists a game, Kyle Lowry, a little bit over seven, and then Mike Conley, six. So, you know, you know I think, I think you, can, you can compare this a lot to what we just talked about with Chris Paul and say that if you don't resign Conley, where now the Jazz have become a one-seat type team, then Diamond Mitchell's wondering, you know, what the hell is going on here? And then I also, I think if you're the Jazz, you can convince yourself that if Conley had been healthy in the playoffs the last two years, because remember last – or two years in the bubble, he had this sort of like COVID stuff and he was in and out. Um, or maybe he was like having a kid. Remember, I forget exactly. Yeah, no, no, there was. was there was some weird stuff with him because I because you I, I you remember the Donovan Mitchell Jamal Murray battle that they had, but I, I don't like you remember Conley Game Seven where he almost had or Game Yeah, I think it was Game Seven yeah, where he almost had. But then he three. missed some games. So and, yeah, well, anyway, that. the point is the point is between that and being injured last year, you could convince yourself if you're the Jazz, even though I don't believe this that. Um, that because of you know if Conley was healthy it'd be a whole different story and and you know you could have won some of these series that you lost um the reality is you lost to the Clippers without Kawhi but you know you could convince yourself that so I think you had to do it and when you compare it to Lowry and Chris Paul the contract isn't as bad it's a bit bit heavy for an injury prone guy but it is what it is that's that's really where this comes down to because again like I, I rattled off the numbers He's around on par with these guys, but in the in the last four seasons, he's played over 51 games one time, mm-hmm. and th- that just can't happen. So for them, it'll come down to that. But, I, I, yeah, of these big contracts from these veteran point guards, this is my favorite. I gave this an A-minus because – and I do like that point that you made because I think, I think it's very comparable to the Chris Paul, Devin Booker situation with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell because if you t- don't have Mike Conley there, I don't know who else is orchestrating offense on this team and who they're getting in free agency at this point to do so for that. Yep. And so then, grade wise, I'm going to give it a B minus, um, maybe even a C plus. I think you had to do it, but um, you're just sort of in this precarious situation. The jazz thing's going to fall apart eventually. Just a question of when Mitchell demands out in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll be waiting there as Knicks fans. Hopefully yeah, we'll see <laughs> now over to the Knicks, Evan Fournier. Four years, $78 million. And <laughs> I mean, I think I have the same sentiment as most Knicks fans. I'm just not a fan of the signing. I mean, at least Fournier can shoot and shoot the hell out of the ball. And that fits an element of what the Knicks really needed on offense. But like, I, I think the hope is a similar to how Bogdanovich operates for the, for the Hawks. Right. But he's a minus defender. And I don't know. It was just like when I was going through, like normally the Knicks have been doing one and ones or two and ones. For the contracts, this yeah, is three it's, and it's, one. It just it's interesting just in general to think about this Knicks offseason. Whereas, like, when a couple of years back, when we struck out on Durant Irving, we went with the one plus ones and the two plus one for Randall. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this time around, we went for a three and one, and and this time for Fournier, it's really a three plus team option, right? Yeah, um, it's tricky because I, I would rip it, I don't love Fournier, but like. 
admittedly we need it we like like i said like like i said repeatedly it's like watching the knicks offense and in in the playoffs and it was like if randall's struggling the best thing that we can do is reggie ball corner three over and and derrick rose it was ugly it was really bad fournier can create and then um so you know the whole knicks offseason almost just seemed like we just kicked it down a couple more years which is fine Right. You know, we continue to be a respectable franchise. We continue to hang around the playoffs. Maybe we win a playoff round if we get the right matchup down the road, although I don't expect it for in these next two, three years. Stack picks, see who's good and who isn't, just build a culture, et cetera, et cetera. Because right now we're kind of in no man's land, but we're not a franchise that wants to blow it up in tanks. We've been doing it for so long. So we're kind of okay with being in no man's land, kicking it down another couple of years, bring these guys back. And so the Fournier signing you know, C plus B minus. And, and that's pretty much where I rank all the Knicks all season signings. Like I said, I think the goal is just to sort of keep it moving for another few years. So I had this as a C. I'm going to go back to a little bit what you were saying where they were just kicking the can down the road because one of my friends uh, reached out uh, when this happened. He's like, what do I think of this signing? I said, as a, and then I, I started to go through like the free agent classes and seeing if they're planning ahead. And over the mm-hmm. next few years, it doesn't seem like there's many guys that they could, that maybe you look at and you're like, okay, this is a guy that would want to come here out like when they become a but when you look at 2024 when these deals are up and when you can move off these guys that's when booker and cat are available and you wonder yeah. if that's where that's where the aim is at and you just want to continue to build this culture again of just winning basketball of just having these guys that um that that just contribute to winning and can work around each other but i mean with fournier he's a minus defender he hasn't been a really good playoff to playoff performer and his he has had solid numbers and solid shooting numbers, but he's never led to really winning basketball outside of seven and eight seats. Maybe it's different now when he's the second and third op- or the third option now. And we only saw it for a really brief point with the Celtics where he was the fourth option, fourth, fifth option at that point on that team. But maybe that works out now because now they have Kemba and now they have Julius Randle. But now I'm more now we I'll transition a little bit into the Kemba talk because it, I, it has to deal a little bit with the Fournier point. Now you have two backcourt guys that are really just minus defenders. And that makes me really nervous for this team because that, you, that was the bread you, and butter for this. Fournier for them. and Kemba? Yeah. Or, or Kemba and Rose? Fournier and Kemba. Cause I assume, I, I think that's a starter and then Rose is coming off the bench. Okay. So yeah. I, um, yeah. It, you know, the thing about the Knicks, right? The thing about the Knicks that I was noticing in the playoffs is that they had a good regular season defense because they play good team defense. But the thing that they lack is like strong individual defenders. And that's why when the Hawks would just go, you know, three guys on the perimeter um, and then Trey Capella pick and roll or whatever, they were a bit helpless because at the end of the day, even if you're a good team defense, three of your guys have to stay with these shooters and it's up to, you know, Randor, Noel, and then, whatever guy you're playing a point, whether it's Rose or Kemba or whoever else to, to deal with Trey. So, you know, the Knicks are just a regular season roster. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to win any playoff series. And that's why I'm not going to be too harsh on like some, some of this stuff because um, look, I, and just one more thing about like just the off season signings in general is that I think it's like interesting that all the contracts are just like, you could, you could pack a, a few guys together to, to get a max level guy. Right. There's a $10 million a year guy. There's an $18 million a year guy. There's a $9 million a year guy, 8 million, you know, 12, et cetera. You just sort of mix and match until you have like a 40 or 35, if, if you're going to make a deal. And that's sort of, I feel like what they were going for when they uh, traded uh, the first round pick with Charlotte for the protected pick. So you can just keep the asset in the bank for future moves. Maybe a guy like Towns, as you mentioned, wants out earlier. Um, so I, I think they're just trying to maintain flexibility and, um, while at the same time, you can't just always do one-year deal, one-year deal, one-year deal. So they're just trying to build a bit of a roster. Uh, expectations are low. Um, I think last year was like well-exceeded expectations. And if you set the bar at four seed, you're going to be disappointed. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I like the point that you made about how you could you could mix and match different guys. Because when you look at it, like the assets that they have, that's not making up the contract that you need to get these max guys. And now if you put Randall and Fournier together, that equals 40 million. Those two yeah. guys together per year. I know Randall's at the end of his contract and will probably get a, a contract extension. We'll see about that. But e- even if it's not Randall, you can mix and match, whether it's Noel, whether it's Rose, just all these guys. I do agree with that. I remember listening to Bill Simmons pod 
uh, a few months ago and he was talking about how the Celtics, when they were near the trade deadline, couldn't really make moves because all their contracts are just either super big or super small. And like the only guy is Marcus Smart. And it's really about whether or not you want to deal Marcus Smart. It's the unflexibility there to really mix and match moves there. And I completely get that from that perspective. And exactly like, uh, or like even the Lakers, for example, you're not going to have many moves to make because all you have is Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron. So what do you do when a $12 million a year guy becomes available? You can't do anything about it. So, so yeah, I think the flexibility uh, could prove to be key down the road. But um, it's, it's too much it, for me. Like I'll give this a C still because I, yeah. the signing itself, I'm not a huge fan of, I, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, just the layout of the team itself, but I get those assumptions that could be made about what this means long-term and yeah, I'll, well, I'll write it out for that. For me, it's like it, Fournier gets gets grouped into these, you know, five guys that we're talking about because he is the biggest deal. But for me, Fournier is like he, he belongs more so just in the group with Burks and Noel and just like the general mix offseason, which I which, again, I'll give like the C plus B minus probably closer to C plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's the biggest name guy. And as Knicks fans, we're going to talk about it, obviously. So it makes sense. Like he, he's the headline and he's the guy that's drawing the most money. So it, it'll be the most scrutinized. All right. Last one. Lonzo Ball, Chicago Bulls ends up being a sign and trade um, for for like Sadoransky and one other guy. And Garrett Temple guy. and a second rounder. Yep. And so, you know, he leaves New Orleans, which. I could not understand for the life of me, right? You know, you, you want the ball in Zion and Ingram's hands. So here's a guy who can, who's an amazing transition facilitator and is now a good three-point shooter. And, and yet the rap on him was that he was fully leaving New Orleans the whole time. I never understood that. What, what sort of point guard could possibly be better in New Orleans than a guy like that? A guy who in the half court doesn't need it, but can facilitate in the fast break, can shoot the three and play defense. And it was four years, 85 million, I believe, or maybe just 80. Yeah, no, um, 45, four, four, four for 85. Yeah, which I think is an, which I think is an underpay. I wonder where the Knicks were. I mean, well, mm -hmm. granted, I mean, now we have Kemba and Rose, so maybe not. But I really like this guy. Like I said, you know, he it's unique that you want the ball in his hands in the fast break, but in the half court, you don't necessarily, but all of a sudden he's a good spot of three point shooter. I don't see what sort of team wouldn't want this guy, let alone a team like the Pelicans where your two best players are forwards. So I could not understand why they let him go. I could not understand why for months narratives that he was definitely going when he's a restricted free agent um, for the bulls. I give it uh, B plus a minus. Um, I think like the Knicks, they're a team who is just like, screw it. We're not tanking anymore. Let's make the playoffs. As you saw last year when they traded for Vucevic and it didn't work out. But now they have Lonzo and they also have DeRozan, which we can touch on in a little bit, um, just very briefly. But, you know, they're, they're going. They're going for it. I respect it. I think it's a good move. And, yeah, I love Lonzo. I can't believe the Pelicans let him go. Yeah, I really like the signing for both the fit and the money. I, he's a plus defender to be kind of like the Clay Thompson to Zach Levine, Steph Curry, obviously not to that extent, but just like, you know, the, yeah, lesser version, the Walmart version of them. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He showed the ability to be effective off the ball and can shoot the three ball, shoot the hell out of three ball. I don't understand it. I wish the Knicks went after him as well. Um, it's fine now that Kemba's there. Um, but yeah, I, with the, with the Pelicans part of it, I mean, I don't know, maybe the, I don't know. I, I I can't speak to it because they they've botched a bunch of a bunch of different things. What with uh, yeah. with the management of Zion at this point and the the inability for them to put a winning team around him. So I, I mean the fact that they weren't able to do this for this amount of money just it doesn't make sense to me. When they give like Stephen Adams a huge contract compared to what he brings to them as opposed to Lonzo, I don't know. But will he be able to work in the half? I mean, more half court traditional offense as a point guard. Uh, will to be determined at this point. I think it's different as opposed to uh, different to the Pelicans. I think they'll be even more slowed down for the most part with Vucevic as a focal point on their offense. He's not a guy that you're trying to get out in transition for for the most part. Even less so than obviously a Brandon Ingram type who's works more in the isolation game. But I, I gave this a B plus at this point. I, I thought this was a really smart signing. It makes it it makes it interesting to wonder what ha, what's happening with Kobe Kobe White because this was a guy that was looked at as pretty promising after his rookie year and now you're signing Lonzo Ball did twenty million dollars a year at the same position, um, but I, I do like the Bulls the Bulls moves and the ability the just you know the kind of like fuck it we're gonna we're gonna go for this at this point 
uh, with yeah. DeRozan, with Vucevic. And this is now a team that they're, they're not in that tier that we were talking about before with the, with the Nets, with the uh, – <laughs> Hell no. Yeah, obviously. But they're in that, that next tier. Uh, maybe. I think if things go right, they are. I think um, if you – because I don't think they're in like a Heat Sixers tier necessarily, but I think they're in like a Celtics Pacers Hawks tier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah, I, I I guess I I group kind of the Heat with the – Heat and Sixers with the the Nets and bro and Bucks left. Oh, for, for me, it would be like the, those two are the clear top, mm-hmm. and then you got that second group of like should be you know a, a, an upper seed, of course, with the Sixers, as I said earlier. Yeah. Some questions, but then, um, yeah, I think like you know they could they could be as good as the Celtics, they could be as good as the Pacers, and both of those teams I think will be pretty good. So mm-hmm. and it's not bad company, of course. Um. Didn't really work out for them with Vucevic last year, but now you have a whole offseason. You added a couple more guys. So yeah, I mean, Magic Magic really lucked out with that and had a great draft night for the most part with the with the filling out that roster. And hopefully they'll be, or I don't know if I'll, I'll be hoping for them to be good, but you know, I hope good, good, for, good for the Magic. Yeah. I, I want as little competition for the Knicks as possible. Mm-hmm. Now heading over to the NFL, we did this last week. We talked about the AFC North and the NFC North. We will be doing this week the NFC West and the AFC West. Two of the two of the best divisions in the NFL at this point. I think the yeah. NFC West and the AFC West are looked at as NFC West definitively, I think is the best division in football. AFC West, gotta say top three or top four at this point. So we'll start off with the Los Angeles Rams, the team that is looked at as honestly, like we were talking about last week, they're they're a top three team. They aren't the favorite to win this division. And and I, I think it has to be because of the 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 schedule, right? The the second place schedule, right? Because the Seahawks are the ones who won the division. So yeah. second place schedule versus the fourth place schedule. I think that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Because you know, for the life of me, I cannot understand why otherwise. I mean, this San Francisco team, we don't even know who the week one guy is, even though I think it will be Jimmy G. Um, but for, does that for matter? Me, would you say? Does that matter, though, if we don't know? Agreed, agreed. They definitely are not a QB-centric team. Look, for me, I'm taking the Rams. I'm seeing plus 195 on FanDuel. I'm taking the Rams to win the division. I, I know um, – like, I don't know what order we want to talk about these, but just because you, you let off with it, for me – you take the best team. You don't worry too much about the schedule, especially when these guys all have to play each other. And I just think that the Rams are really going to be really good, as I've said many times. And I think the Niners will be good too. But I'm just going to take the best team, right? And especially if they're not they're not favored. So for 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 me, it's 100% going to be the Rams. Yeah, I mean, with the upgraded quarterback, this was a team that was 10 and six last year, second in the division. That's with obviously Jared Goff and the 23rd ranked offense, scoring offense, 23 points a game, and the 19th ranked pass offense when it came to DVOA. So there should be a significant upgrade with this team with Matthew Stafford under center. And they've, you know, they re signed a bunch of guys. They got Deshaun Jackson. Uh, I'm skeptical, obviously, about the, the real output that he'll bring to this team. It's mainly just about the, improvement under center um and i would put them as the third i said this last week I, when we were talking about the packers i'd put the rams as the third best team the losses in the secondary are obviously in my opinion very big with john johnson and troy hill going to the cleveland browns and their defensive coordinator is now the head coach of the los angeles chargers so i don't expect them to be the number one ranked uh, defense but i do expect their offense to not only balance out that maybe that drawback in the defensive ranks but also overcome it, like supersede it. They'll yeah. be significantly better offensively, more so than they might take a step back defensively. Dude, but this is crazy. Like the Niners, I kind of thought that this would be one of those situations where the Niners were favored to win the division, but the Rams would still have better like conference and Super Bowl odds, but that's not the case. Like, th- like these books really think, Vegas really thinks that the Niners are better than the Rams. Very surprising to me. So for me, like, it's it's about the fact that this is still a, that's a still a Super Bowl roster, and they were they were they they still despite the fact that you know they were the, they were third in the yeah third in the division last year or fourth I I think fourth yeah fourth fourth in the division they still beat the Rams like despite the fact that they had C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins under center they still beat the Rams and Kyle Shanahan has shown that he can that he kind of owns Sean McVay for the most part at this point because just based on their, their track record of games. 
But for this, bets, I, I love Matthew Stafford over 28 and a half passing touchdowns. He had 26 last year with absolute shit at the wide receiver course, specifically Kenny and also Kenny Galladay out for most of the season. Like he had shit and his top receiver was out. And now they get an extra game. Cam Akers, unfortunately, out with an Achilles injury for the entire season will just put more pressure on Matthew Stafford to throw the ball more and put up more touchdowns. So I, I expect that. And he'll have the best offensive coordinator he or play caller he's had in his career in his head coach in Sean McVay. Yeah. So I, I love that bet for him. Yeah, I think um I think this division, like I said, will be will be super interesting. I mean, we already know this is the best division in terms of depth. You know, it's funny like, to compare best divisions when you talk about the AFC West versus the NFC West, because obviously the AFC West is the best team in the league, probably in the Chiefs, if not the Buccaneers. Um, but then, it, it, you know, they lack the depth, right? Like, you know, a lot of people think the Chargers will be good, but the Chargers will probably be a fourth-place team in the NFC West. So it just, it just goes mm-hmm. to show how unbelievably deep they are, um, this division, how every in-division game is a good watch in the NFC West, which you really can't say that about most divisions. Exactly. Um, yeah, so man, like I said, I like I like uh, Rams the best to win the division. Win totals are tricky for me because if a t- if like if a team isn't good, they're gonna boom lose like lose six games. So that almost makes you want to lean under. Like maybe a Seahawks under. Let me pull their total. Um, well, here we'll get we'll get to the Seahawks. Here we'll go to the Seahawks right now. Actually, sure. They were first in the division last year. Um, They've had some, they've re-signed some guys. They've also lost more. I, I think more crucially, they've lost guys. They re-signed Carlos Dunlap to, uh, on the edge. They brought in Gabe Jackson to help bolster the offensive line. They re-signed Tyler Lockett, but they then let go of Quentin Dunbar and Shaquille Griffin, two of their better corners. They still have free agents in KJ Wright and Bruce Irvin that maybe they re-signed. They lost an interior defensive lineman, Jerron Reed. I'm not a fan of this team. They weren't a good pass defense, and they lost two of their better corners this upcoming season. The wide receiver in the second round that they took, they didn't have a first-round pick. They didn't have a third-round pick. In the second round, they took Dwayne Eskridge, a super old wide receiver from Central Michigan or or Western Michigan. And after they re-signed – what's it called? After they re-signed Tyler Lockett, I didn't see a necessity to have that, especially when you have DK Metcalf. They bring in Gerald Everett. They have Chris Carson. They have weapons on offense. I felt like they needed to bolster their defense. And in a very tough division facing a first-place schedule, I think this is the worst team in, in the division. I will take them to lose. Possible. So I have them under 10 wins, minus 120, not to make 110. the playoffs 110, but Russell Wilson over 33-and-a-half passing touchdowns for minus 110. I think he had over that or close to it last year, and now you add in the extra game. Yeah. And, I, and even worse defense. I think part of the reason you resign Lockett, though, is because, like, Remember, there was a there was a bit of a, of a low key fallout between Russ and the front office, and I think for that reason you sort of had to bring him back. But you know the offensive line still didn't get much better, and uh, you know the defense is still not going to be great. So I, I'm inclined to agree. I like I like the under and the not make playoffs. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't fault them for for resigning Tyler Lockett. It's about the t- resigning Tyler Lockett and then drafting a wide receiver. Either do one or the other, and then do the use the money that you're spending on Tyler Lockett to address the cornerback situation or secondary situation, or don't draft a cor- don't draft a receiver in the second round and take a corner or a say or somebody on the defensive end there just to to help out a little bit. I mean, Russ. If you're paying him that type of money, he shouldn't need all these weapons for you to kind of take away from other points in your roster that you need to upgrade at this point. Agreed. But yeah, I, I I'm not a fan of this team. I think they're they're on the downturn, and especially in a tough division as the number one seed or as the a first place schedule, I should say. Now the San Francisco 49ers fourth in the division last year missed the playoffs. Obviously, they had all the issues at the quarterback position. Jimmy G yet again not being able to stay healthy. They go out and draft Trey Lance, and we'll see who the, the week one starter is. We don't know at this point. But this team has all the talent to, to go back to the Super Bowl this upcoming season. More so than the Bears, I think this will be very interesting, the dynamic between the quarterback and the rookie, or the veteran quarterback and the rookie, because this is a team that, sh- when I was going through their schedule, they should be favored in at least nine or ten of their first 11 games. And if Jimmy starts in their continual win, and maybe not so because of Jimmy, but because this team is so good and they're they're better than the teams they're going up against. Then what do they do with Trey? Do they play him? 
but this is the second best team in the division. And I think slightly behind that top three that we were talking about last week, last week in the NFC with the Bucks, the Packers and the Rams. Um, and I, I think this is one of the safer bets. If you were to take this team to win the division or win the conference, because of the fact that if Jimmy G goes out, it's not Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard, it's Trey Lance coming in there and you can feel more think, confident uh, with that. I can see this being a bit like the um, like the Dolphins with Tua last year and Fitzpatrick, although I think they'll probably handle it on a, a better, better scale. Yeah, but but basically the problem is like, what do you do if you start Jimmy G and you're four and two or five and one, but he hasn't been amazing, right? Do you switch in Trey Lance? And what if Trey Lance totally stinks it up? And then you're you're sort of balancing quarterback development with the fact that you are a Super Bowl caliber team, whereas the Dolphins are more of a playoff caliber team. 49ers are a Super Bowl caliber team, and Jimmy G has made the Super Bowl. So you know I could see it potentially being that uncomfortable situation where Lance comes in week seven, eight, nine, ten, but then as you try to make a push to maybe even get a buy if they're that good, um, then you sort of have to bring Jimmy G back, and then there's all, and then like two is dealing with now. It's all these questions throughout the offseason of like. What's wrong with this guy? And, you know, things like that. So it's a dangerous, it's a, it's a bit of a dicey situation that hopefully they handle the right way. And hopefully there have been some internal discussions about, you know, potential scenarios that might arise. And you, you know, you do have to assume that Jimmy G is going to be the week one starter, but you know, the problem with that is what I just said of like, it's going to be tough to take them out because the roster is going to be good and they're going to be winning games. So it almost Maybe you're better off just saying we're going to start Trey Lance on week one if we think that, if we think that he can handle it and just um, you know just let it ride because then there's less pressure to make a change and maybe a team needs a QB i.e. the Colts like let's say you announce Trey Lance as a starter right now maybe you flip Jimmy G and you get a second round pick out of it or something like that so you know Jimmy G would have some trade value if the right guys get injured and and, and Trey Lance is your starter so I think there are a lot of options there. So, yeah, if Trey doesn't start – I was going through their, their schedule, and if Trey doesn't start week one, I could see them going with him after the week four bye to Indy, to play Indy at home week five. So, yeah, I, I think it, more so than, than the Dolphin situation because of what you said. Um, this is a team that not only can make the playoffs but could potentially go for the Super Bowl. This is such a well-rounded team. I mean, not only did their offensive, their offensive line got better – their their secondary should be a little bit better. Maybe maybe take a little bit of a step back. But this is a team that's top seven. That was is seven. German on a team? No, not yet. He's one of the, he's one of the guys that they lost. They they re-signed Trent Williams. Got Alex Mack, the center from Atlanta. They got Mohamed Sanu. They got Samson Ebukam, who are two slightly under the radar guys. They're, they're still going to have you know three running backs, four running backs, and come at you. Great offensive line. Like, exactly. Uh, like the line the, is unbelievable. When you look at yeah, when you look at the, what their ranks were last year, it was the defense was elite. They were top ten in both pass and rush DVOA, but their offense was. 22nd in pass and 15th in rush, obviously because of the quarterback situation last year with Jimmy G being out. But for this, I, I think that I think because of Trey Lance's dual threat ability and the fact that Tua might not have had that, I think there's more of a leash there for him to still be productive in this offense, as opposed to when Tua was struggling, it was because he wasn't really able to distribute the ball as effectively. But with Trey Lance, you also have much better weapons. You have a better play caller, and the fact that he's able to um, be able to run the hell out of ball, kind of like a a middle linebacker coming at you. So I think there's more to work there for the to the point where he can tread above what like kind of tread water there at least more so than what we saw with Tua and the issue that the Miami Dolphins had when they took out Fitzpatrick and put him in last year. Right. So for some bets I like, I like over 10 and a half wins with them at plus one of five. And then Trey Lance offensive rookie of the year. I said it last week. I like Justin Fields odds. I also like Trey Lance's odds because I think one of these guys is going to come out and at least start early on in the season. And then when I get him at plus 800, I'll definitely take that. No, I agree. I think, um, man, the Niners seem great on paper and a super stacked roster as we just discussed. Um, Man, it's just, it, of course, um, a lot of it comes down to the QB, right, as we know. So mm-hmm. with, with that in mind, that's why, like, for me, it's the Rams, no question, to win the division. But um, but what about the fact that they have two quarterbacks? So, like, Stafford already hurt his hand already. Like, it, it's right. thankfully not serious, but, like, the fact that they have two guys there where if Jimmy goes out, then you don't – your bet's not just squashed. You know, but, but unfortunately, I understand that, of course. Like, that, that is a real thing, but there's only one man under center. In the sense that, like, you know, 
one eight out of 10 beats two sixes, two sixes, if they're both, if everybody's healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for that reason, I definitely lean Rams. I'm not banking, you know, you're not taking these bets banking on injuries either way. Of course you have to be aware of it, but like, you're going to assume that people stay healthy. Yeah, no, I agree. Like when you go through this, like it's not injuries happen. They're super unpredictable. I just think that's a plus when you think about the 49ers. There's only only one quarterback that you can expect to get injured and he plays in Indy. (laughs) Wow. Just shots fired at your old quarterback. Unbelievable. Exactly. It's just like, it was, you know, when I saw the news, I was just like, well, glad it's not me anymore because it, the headline was all too believable. Well, um, now you have to deal with the fact that maybe you guys don't get your third first round pick. I know. That's that's almost definitely going to happen, right? Between between the guy not being vaccinated and, and, and not like... Oh, he's not vaccinated? I, there was something about like, he was asked if he was vaxxed and it was something like whatever, whatever, you know, personal. Yeah. No guy who's vaccinated is going to give the whole personal information right, you know? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, with all, with all that in mind, I, I think we can kiss that first round pick goodbye. So we'll take a second. But hopefully it's a good second because they'll probably be bad with the way it's going for them. We'll see. That's, a, that's, a, that's not a great division. We'll get to them in a couple weeks or in a week yeah. or so. But uh Obviously, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. We might have to save them for last because you know, for this, because between the Jameis Taysom Hill situation and then also like the Deshaun situation, all yeah. this stuff, like they probably have the most moving parts of any division. And no, that's exactly. Well, I was mainly thinking about the Deshaun Watson piece of it, but yeah, that other part where you're talking about the Saints at the NFC South aspect. Yeah, of so it, we're doing you know like the South exactly. and the North. Yeah, exactly. So. Right, well, let's, do, la- let's do the Cardinals, right? The last yeah, team in the yep, division that we have exactly. done this is This is my dark horse to win this division. I actually think this team could win the division. I, I, I like the additions that they've made on this team. Defensive line got better with J.J. Watt, obviously. The offensive line got better when they bring in Rodney Hudson to be the center, who was very solid there, and they didn't really lose anybody. They lost their center that they had before, but he wasn't really good. Their wide receiver core added more playmakers with Rondale Moore and A.J. Green. They got Malcolm Butler in the secondary. Obviously, they lost Patrick Peterson, but I think this is a team that the quarterback is their main weakness, and I think this is a team that can go after Xavier Howard. So when okay. I can get them at plus 650 to win the division, I think that they have a quarterback that I think can take another step up. They have a bunch of weapons around them, and I think this defense that was really good, that was good last year. I mean, they were ninth in pass DVOA and 14th in rush DVOA. I think they got better in that aspect. I think this team could take another step up and they have the fourth place schedule or third place schedule in this division. I mean, this team was really good until it wasn't last season. Right. You know, and, and that's just, that's just sort of how, how it goes sometimes. It's hard to string together 16, now 17 good games. So I, I, man, when you list some of those names they got, you know, it's, it's better on paper than it is in reality, probably right. Malcolm Butler, AJ Green and JJ Watt, especially at this stage in their careers, but they did add a lot of guys. So James I, Connor, Rodney Hudson, both guys. If you, t- if you talk to me three years ago, it's like, Holy crap. This I mean, this, team is this a, Madden a roster. Team. Yeah. This Madden roster though, going to be a lot of 85s and nineties. Yeah. So um, yeah. It, you know, with that in mind, um, I like the long shot as well. And I feel like last year, I probably liked the long shot for the same reason. You know, it's the classic young QB and the young coach. Are they going to make the leap? It looks like they were doing it last season. Whether the schedule got harder or they just sort of lost steam or whatever the case may be, they just couldn't keep it up the whole year. But, you know, if the defense is better, if a couple things break the right way with the Niners and the Rams, and they, they you know, they win 11 games and that could be enough. Who knows? Um, I like over eight minus 130. I think that's a good number, right? Because seven and 10 would be an absolute disaster for this team. You, like, especially they were eight and eight last season. You, you'd have to think that they could go at least nine and eight this season with, with like with more guys coming to their primes and all and that. And another, and then add another game in there too. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, so you're basically saying if you don't, if you take that, if you don't take that over, you think they're going to be worse, way worse. Because remember eight pushes, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm with you on the long shot. Um, I don't love it, but you know, you're like, as we've discussed, you're never going to love a plus 600. You're never going to love a plus 700. You just take the value and eventually enough will hit. So yeah, I, I agree. If you told me at the end of the season, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in the division. I wouldn't doubt it. There's no, okay. there's not a doubt in my mind. It really comes down to, for me, their coach isn't on par with like the Sean, he's the fourth best coach in the division. And that's a little scary for me when you're taking that type of money. Or that type of, I, I mean that that's probably why they're they're the least favorite because their co- their coach is the worst in the division. But that's that's in something defense. I will that's 
that a little bit, but like, I don't know, because you look at Seattle, I mean, Seattle's yeah. defense is worse than that. And yeah. is Kyler that much of like, Russ is better than Kyler. Is Kyler that much of a drop-off? I don't know. And speaking of Kyler, I like him at plus 1,600 for MVP. I think this guy was on a record pace last year, and now you add more weapons to him. He has Rondale Moore. He has A.J. Green. He has, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins. He has um, Chase Edmonds, who I think will be better than Kenyon Drake was. They bring in James Conner, who will who should be solid enough. They have Christian Kirk still. I, they Their offensive line got better. I, I think this is – I think – Everything is there for him to have a monster season at plus 1,600. I mean. I like that. Yeah. Do you have anything else besides the over on their wins or otherwise what gets the AFC West? No, let's just go, let's just go right to it. AFC West, um, obviously a, a, a division dominated by the Chiefs, right? Uh, they've probably won it, I don't know, three years in a row at this point. Um, yeah, every year of Mahomes' career plus the Alex Smith year before. Um, it, man, you'd have to think they'd win. I think the thing that's going to catch everybody's eyes immediately is the Chargers plus 500 in the same division. For me, I think the Chargers are, I think Chargers slash Herbert are a bit overrated. I always have. I think the hype's been a bit much. Look, I'm not saying I hate the guy. I'm just saying, like, I think a lot of people's eyes are going to go to that Chargers plus 500 and think that's unbelievable value, even in spite of the Chiefs. I don't see it. I think they're probably a nine-one team at best, more likely eight or seven. Um, so, you know, for me, maybe you parlay a couple things together to get the Chiefs division winner. Um, but you know, ultimately, I guess it's not it's not so much that I like Chiefs minus two seventy. It's just that I don't like Chargers plus five hundred. Let alone I'm seeing Broncos plus six hundred, which seems really like too low mm-hmm. even consider. So the Achilles heel of this team was in the Super Bowl. We all saw it was the offensive line. It just absolutely deteriorated. Obviously, yeah. Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher got injured and seriously injured. They then traded for Orlando Brown Jr., gave up a first-round pick, and then they signed Joe Tooney to, I believe, the richest offensive line deal for an interior guy in NFL history. They're the clear top team in the AFC. I don't think anybody's disputing this. Maybe Bills fans will. I think that's the only team that could have somewhat of a claim. Maybe Browns. I don't know. I, I wouldn't put the Browns there yet. And But I can continue to beat the drum about the run DB because that's just been the Achilles heel for this team year after year. But it just never seems to really materialize to the point where you're like, okay, this is something that they need to address. Because when you look at what they did, they got Jerron Reed from the Seahawks. And maybe that'll help plug it up a little bit. But this was the 31st ranked rush defense when it came to DVOA. But in the end, these teams just – they'll try and run it. They'll try and run it like we saw what the Colts did a few years ago where they just controlled the clock and they just – they really just pounded on them. But nobody really can keep up with this Kansas City offense, and I think this will continue this year. I'm taking over 12.5 wins and minus 125 when I look at it. This team was 14-2 last year. You add in the extra game. I think they got better as a whole. I don't really care about the Sammy Watkins departure when it comes to the – the uh, receiving core, obviously, they've drafted a center in the in the third round that should improve the offensive line as well as obviously Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown Jr. And, you know, maybe they sign Mitchell Schwartz because he's still a free agent. Maybe they re-sign him a little bit later in the season after he maybe more rehabs from his injury. But I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you that I don't like the Chargers to win the division because I think the Chiefs are just so, so good and I'm not going to bet against them. But I am a Chargers fan. Yeah, I mean, Chargers, oh, I mean, nine and a half, although granted the over is plus 110 and the under is minus 135, but you will not see me taking that over nine and a half, man. I mean, I know they got the new coach. I know Herbert's in his second year, although I think he's due for a bit of a regression. I know Derwin James is coming back. I know, you know, Bosa has been like iffy with his injury stuff and he should be back. Um, there are a lot of indicators that point to them being good. I just don't see them being that good. Like I, I see them more as like an eight or nine one team. Of course, I could be wrong. And if you remember the last time this team was truly healthy, they were in the playoffs with Rivers, right? The year they lost to uh, the Pats. Yeah, and they beat the Ravens, and then then they lost to the Pats. Exactly. That was like 2018 or 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, it's entirely possible. I just don't necessarily see it. I mean, if everybody's healthy, maybe it happens. 
I remember that Pat, I remember that Pat Chargers game because I remember betting on the Chargers and then just the Pat just absolutely boat raced them. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, of course, of course. Why'd I bet against Brady? So with the Chargers, this is the only team I could see contending with the Chiefs for the division because of the fact that they have the quarterback to go and do so. Um, I love the offseason that they put together. Their offensive line was a major issue. They got the best center or one of the best centers in the NFL and drafted the second best offensive tackle in the draft in Rashawn Slater. The center they got was Corey Lindsley from the Packers. That helps not only the quarterback, the ability to run the ball. This team was one of the worst run teams in the NFL. Their offensive line ranked 29th by football outsiders, combining metrics from offensive pass and rush blocking. And the teams around them, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, Denver, and Houston. I mean, not a lot of success there. And this team was 7-9, and nine, despite the fact that they had a rookie quarterback and a, a bad offensive line and a coach that, in my opinion, wasn't a really good one in Anthony Lynn. So I think there's a lot of room to go up for that. Derwin James, Derwin James, like you said, hopefully back and healthy for the first time in two years. I mean, the guy the guy is an all-pro caliber player that just hasn't yeah. been able to stay healthy at all. And this defense was – not great last year. They were below average in pass and rush DVOA, but now they bring in Derwin James, hopefully back, and now the Rams defensive coordinator is now the head coach, which should help them take that step up in that department. I like the over nine and a half on DraftKings. I saw it at plus 115. Chargers, Kansas City, top two in the division, plus one plus 120, or you could take Chargers to make the playoffs at plus 105. I really like the Chargers KC top two in the division for plus 120. Herbert, over 28 and a half passing touchdowns, minus 120. 31 as a rookie, better offensive line, more one more game. And then Herbert, MVP, plus 1,800. Because I'm all in on the Herbert train. I, 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 think he, I, I think he's so good. I think the ability for him to be successful on that team with a bad offensive line, with a not great coach, as a rookie just coming in, uh, I, I was really impressed with him. I, I think he'll be take another leap there. So I'm all in on the Chargers train, but not as much to put them over the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, I agree. I, I think you raised some good points. They could hypothetically be really good. And maybe it's enough to scare me away from taking under nine and a half at, at that value. But um, and maybe they could surprise people. But even if they surprise people and win 11 games, like, you know, 11 and six or even 12 games, you still have to think that the Chiefs are one thirteen. Oh yeah, so, that's why I won't win. I won't take them division. I'll take them to yeah. finish within the top two at that plus one twenty number all day though, because I don't love the bottom part of their the other two in their division, as we'll get to in a second. Um, do you have any more bets before you want to? Before we head over to uh, Las Vegas? No, I'm good. Okay, Las Vegas. This is this. This is the Kansas. This is the Seattle Seahawks of the AFC West for me. Hate this roster. Uh, I think it's the worst roster top to bottom in the division. Defense as a whole was atrocious last year, and I don't think they got much better. I mean, when you look at who they got, they got Casey Hayward, uh, who should be solid. Quentin Jefferson, Quentin Jefferson and Solomon Thomas for the interior defensive line. They signed Yannick Ngakwe. I just – like those are, guys, those are solid guys, but, I mean – I don't think it's much better. I mean, there's a reason, those, like Yannick Ngakwe, there's a reason why, despite the fact that the Ravens traded for him, they didn't re-sign him. There's a reason why Casey Hayward was let go. And I didn't. I don't think they got players to begin with. I mean, you look at their draft picks that they've had, whether it's Cleveland Farrell, whether it's Damon Arnett, and now Alex Leatherwood. I mean, we'll see with Alex Leatherwood. I'm not going gonna to throw him under the bus right now, but past two guys that they've gotten in the first round just haven't produced. And now they got to go out and try and make up for that by overspending for possibly guys that are just a little bit past their prime at this point. Uh, I think they're, they're in like a a weird spot, right? Uh, It's just like, you'd think that they'd be better. You, you thought they'd be a player for Rogers, but it never really seemed like it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they, I think they're probably better than the Broncos, just my opinion, but um, it it could go either way. Um, I just don't. Yeah, it, like I said, they're in a weird spot. What's the win total on these guys? Sorry, I had them at seven. I was looking at DraftKings. I know you were looking at FanDuel. Uh, yeah, well, let's get that, we'll get that consistent for next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had them at se- I have them at seven, at minus one ten, and I, yeah, I I want the I'm under. Seeing, I'm seeing six and a half heavily favored on the over. So basically, the same thing. And I kind of like that under. Right, you're in a, you're in a pretty good division. Um, there aren't too many pushover teams in the NFL anymore, right? I mean, yeah, there's the Texans, 
and the Lions. But outside of that, like no team is a pushover. Mm-hmm. And I know they have the new stadium, but I mean, what a stadium doesn't get you wet. You know, <laughs> um, I, I'm sure it's sick though. Don't get me wrong. I, I heard sure. there's a nightclub in the in the in one of the end zones. I think. Yeah, well, that way the that way the fans don't have to watch the product. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think I think this is sort of me. This could be uh, Dark Cars last season. I guess that that that's not like Raiders hot take. So I think if they win six or seven games again, even if he's decent, you just sort of need to hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Derek Carr is not the issue on this team. He's been really good. But yeah, I agree. If you're in this point where you're middling and you need more pieces, I mean, could John Gruden be on the hot seat after the season? I mean, he's kind of like on a lukewarm seat at this point, but like he's got such a long contract. It's so hard to see them moving off and just eating all that money that they need to pay him. But I mean, I know he's had the steadily increase in wins over the past few years since he's been there, but it's like they were a five and 11 team and now they're in what they were eight and eight. I mean, three wins, like that's not enough for me, especially when you have a quarterback that has shown the ability to be very productive for this team. And you've had all these graphics to use and they haven't hit at all. I mean, it's not even like these are average guys. It's like Damon Arnett and Cleveland Farrell, the reports are out and they I are mean, really bad this year for them to even see the field. It's one thing. Okay. It's one thing to make an aggressive breach in the draft. When you do it multiple times and every time it's like, Oh, that didn't work out. You know, maybe, maybe at least read a couple mock drafts. I know? wonder, I wonder how much is John Gruden, how much is Mike Mayock for this? Because Mike Mayock, like when he was on NFL network and he talked about the draft, there wasn't this, the, like I had never heard of him having these, insane like reaches or uh infatuations with prospects that really on were different than other people it wasn't to the point where when you're at the fourth what was it i think it was the fourth or sixth overall pick and it's josh allen who the the defensive end for the jags now is on the board but they go with a uh an edge rusher from clemson including the feral that was expected to go near the 20s I, I never really saw that with him. So I wonder how much is John Gruden when you have are getting paid that much money over that much time. It, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. The only bet I like for this team is under seven wins and minus 110. Me too. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're the worst team in the division. Because when you get the whole numbers, like a seven, you're saying only way you're going to lose money is if they win eight games. <laughs> that is not happening. Now heading over to the last team, the Denver Broncos. Like top to bottom, if you go outside, just take away the quarterback position. This might be the best roster in the NFL, or one of. A stretch, but it is a good roster. I mean, I'll definitely say in this division, maybe the NFL. I'll say that. Okay. But but in the NFL, that's obviously the make or break position for your team to find success. And when you look at this team, it's not obviously not great. Uh, but. Their defense, specifically their pass defense, should be among the elites in the NFL. I mean, they brought in Ronald Darby. They brought in Kyle Fuller. They drafted Patrick Sertain. That's three stud, like very good, two studs, and then Ronald Darby's pretty good, pretty good corner there. Uh, their defense, I think, should be amongst top 10 in the NFL. They were really bad last year when it came to rush D. They were 25th in rush DVOA, but their offense was 26th and 31st when it came to rush and passo DVOAs. So, I mean – uh, I like not to make the playoffs at minus 140. There's no Rodgers trade coming. I don't anticipate them getting Deshaun Watson. I don't anticipate Deshaun Watson getting traded, like I said last week. Mm. I think it's a tough division, plus a lot of competition for the wild card spot. So when I looked at it, it's like, okay, they are to compete with the Chargers, the Pats, the Dolphins, the Ravens slash Browns, whoever doesn't win the division, the Steelers, the Colts, and Titans. That, that's a lot of teams that you have to compete for. And when your quarterbacks are Drew Locke slash Teddy Bridgewater, doesn't give me a lot of optimism there. And then Drew Locke to be the starter week one is plus 120. Him and Teddy are like both 120. And then other is like plus 600. I think they know Teddy doesn't give them the chance to be a, to accomplish what they want. It's just more so, okay, Drew Locke has that upside and that downside of, okay, maybe we'll be four and 12. But like with Teddy, you'll be like, or four and 13. With Teddy, you'll be six and 11. But right. with Drew, you could be eight and nine, maybe nine and eight or 10. 10 maybe. If it goes right. Exactly. So you have that upside there. I think they see that. I think they know that yeah. they need to ride this out. And that's the only logical thing to do at this point, because Teddy, it's not like they gave, they got gave up a six round pick for him. It's not like in, they gave up a second round pick to draft Drew Locke. They gave him a six round pick to trade for Teddy Bridgewater. It's yeah. not. 
I, I agree. I agree. I, I think it's a really good bet. It's a good find right there. Um, and for the same reason, you know, I'd have to agree with you. Um, as far as like a uh, win total, um, I would say eight and a half seems a bit much, right? Yeah, I would probably take the under there. I, I was too, I was afraid of it. I'm just like, I'm staying away from that. There, there's too many variables with this. Again, like I said, if Drew Locke is the quarterback, there's so many, so many different things. I like the roster as a whole, but obviously when you factor in the quarterback, I don't love the roster Okay. for the most part. And this is a guy, again, I, I'm not going to talk about my dynasty team all the time, but I have Drew Locke on it and I want to do well, but <laughs> I'm not optimistic of it. So yeah. we'll see. But so right now we had, in the NFC West, we both had the Rams, then the Niners. I had the Cardinals third, and then the Seahawks fourth. Yeah, that's good with me. Okay, and then the AFC West, I had the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, then the Raiders. Same here, honestly. Oh. I think I think there's a case to be made for um, – I want to make the case for the Raiders be, being better than the Broncos, but it'd be like a six wins versus five wins type situation. Yeah. So. I mean, look, yeah, that that's – I think it's a clear top two in that division. And that's why I love the the first two bet for Chargers and uh, yeah. Chiefs. It's not in that specific order. It's just those two to be the top two teams. But yeah, I wouldn't fault you if you had the Raiders over the Broncos in large part because they have the quarterback there. And that, that's really just that that's the biggest point, the biggest sticking point to that. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back next week discussing probably the AFC and NFC East unless there's a Deshaun Watson trade. Then we'll be doing AFC and NFC. But even then, we might even hold off on that because, uh, again, like you brought up, the Saints part of it where it's Taysom Hill or Jameis, I think I'd like to wait it out to see because I think it's a completely different outlook on that team depending on who the quarterback is. But uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Till next time.